The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and I am always happy to be back and doing this show every Monday. Um, I want to uh, welcome everybody uh, to back to the show. That's always great to have you return. Um, our sponsor for today is Holly Blue Nurse Community App, which is for and about nurses. You will find resume tools to help you stay organized, professional opportunities, community and peer support, a self-empowerment, and uh, lots of self-care pages. That's at www.hollyblue.com. Holly Blue is H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U. This is, Holly Blue is a community where nurses thrive. Thank you so much. And also, we have a new sponsor this week, um, Kim Evans Institute for Integrative Medicine in Louisville, Kentucky, is sponsoring us. And uh, they are about, uh, they make you an active partner in your care and healing for your mind, body, spirit, and soul. For information, you can contact them at www.integrativemedicineforyou.com. And it's all one word except the four is a number four and you is just you. So integrativemedicineforyou.com. Thank you so much. Today's show is called uh, What Nurses Wish the Public Knew. Uh, We're in a bit of a no man's land right now with COVID due to the fact that we are between presidents one who has staunchly denied the crisis, and one who is ready to move rapidly and hard against the pandemic. Healthcare workers are caught in the midst of another dangerous surge over the holidays all across the country, with overflowing hospitals and healthcare workers of all types who are mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted from nine months of nearly constant COVID admissions. My guest today, Mary Turner, is an ICU nurse and the president of the Minnesota Nurses Association. She has recently uh, been asked to join three other healthcare workers to speak to President-elect Biden about the crisis from the front lines. She did an amazing job with that, and so I wanted to um, invite her to come and join us. She also um, has will be uh, talking today about her experience, her knowledge, and hopes for the future. So, Mary... Um, I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. So why did you get into nursing in the first place? What brought you to the head of one of the oldest nurse unions in the country? And then just introduce yourself as far as can you explain um, what you do as the president of the Minnesota Nurses Union and uh, what also how, how that gives you insight into this crisis that other nurses mm-hmm. might not have. So welcome. (laughs) So like you said, my name is Mary Turner. I am uh, presently the president of Minnesota Nurses Association, but I always like to say, more importantly, I am a COVID ICU nurse at North Memorial and Robbinsdale. And when COVID isn't around, I'm just a regular med surge ICU nurse. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I emphasize that because it's 
the nurses at the bedside uh, mm-hmm. that are the are the definitely the front line. Um, we're the ones that are going to get you know people through this pandemic. Um, why I went into nursing? Actually, I have been in the nursing field since I was 12 years old. I was one oh, of those. Wow. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard about the term a candy striper. Yes, I was I one was of those one. little gals that had to wear the red and white pinafores, you know. <laughs> and so, and that was at St. Teresa Nursing Home in New Hope. And uh, and, and then nursing assistant. I took, took some time off to be into uh, human resources and uh, payable, et cetera. Uh, but I feel like that 10 years of experience uh, just kind of helped me when I became a nurse leader as mm-hmm. far as um, discussing issues with the hospital. So that experience was well worth it. I became mm-hmm. a nurse uh, in 1995. Uh, at the time, uh, my husband and I um, put each other through nursing school. I had four babies. I had three babies in diapers when I started Ooh. nursing school. Oh my god! But I still, I still maintained. I, I think it was a three point seven grade point average. So that's not too bad. Oh gosh, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah. So then, when I when I eventually got um, in '96, I I went to Abbott Northwestern, and I quickly became a union steward because I actually was um, a night representative at St. Therese way back when I was 17. So I've been fighting hmm. the the labor side of the mm-hmm. medical field for healthcare field for uh, since I was a kid. And I always have worked the night shift and back and I've always felt like the night shift was the shift that was just there to keep the lights on and the water running. We were the shift that got the memo. All the decisions were seemed to be made on day shift oh, or evening it. shift and night shift got the to do list. And mm-hmm. so I felt a very strong I always have. I have always felt that it was very important wherever I went to work that I be on whatever committee to be the night representative. So that mm-hmm. that has stayed with me my whole life, just so that we're not forgotten. And it has gotten better, where especially in a hospital where it's a little bit more 24-7 and, and considerations are made for each shift. But there's always more work to do. But anyway, so I was so I was a union steward at Abbott, and then when I went to North Memorial in 2006, I um, I became a union steward again. And then in, it wasn't until 2010 when we had a huge contract um, fight right. in 2010 mm-hmm. that I that I really took off in uh, being in kind of the upper echelon of the M&A organization. I, um, after that, um, it was at the age of 50 that I found out that I had the ability to speak in public. Hmm. You know, I, I was, had been a singer my whole life, but I had never, I thought, oh, no, there's no way I could ever speak to an audience or mm-hmm. speak to a group. Well, I found out I did have the talent to do speeches hmm. off the cuff, and uh, I love nothing better than a good rally kind of thing. So <laughs> okay. I went, I, I, yeah. So in 2011, I became, I ran for a director spot and I was a director on the board for two years. And then after that, I was for two years, I was the chair of government affairs. And that was extremely important because then I learned all about Capitol Hill and mm-hmm. uh, all the things that had. And so that was actually really good training for my next role as president. And I've been the president now 
since uh, January of 2016. And I will actually, so I've done it for five years, and I will actually be uh, doing another three-year term that will start this January. Now, the kind of president I am is a hands-on, is boots-on-the-ground kind of thing. And it gives me a huge perspective. And when I, if we have like 85 facilities in Minnesota, we cover four different states, and wherever the nurses need me, I am there. And that, so when I'm getting information about the state, I am getting it right from the nurses, right on the front line. I had this past, this past pandemic season, I think I have been, like all up north, I've been from Thief River to Bemidji to Hibbing to Brainerd to Duluth. And this is all like right on the front line, listening to the nurses at their hospitals. And this gives me a huge advantage um, when I have when I'm on things like the governor's task force. Um, whether they listen to me or not, <laughs> what I'm saying mm-hmm. is what I'm hearing on the front line, and that's a huge advantage as a president. I mm-hmm. uh, in the world of I also of course run the board, and our board is a very democratic, where the members uh, run the union, and so we make all of the strategic planning decisions, we make all the financial decisions. So I hope that kind of covers. That covers a lot. Um, yeah. You had mentioned that you were up in the northern part of Minnesota uh, talking to them. Uh, I know that for Minnesota, we started off a little slower than some of the other states, and we're now nine mm-hmm. months in. Could you give us kind of a how we got to here, uh, where we're at right now, which is over overflowing hospitals and overworked and exhausted nurses? Um, just give us kind of a quick overview of what were the things that happened along the way, uh, and when did you know it was going to be a real problem for Minnesota? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I have, I personally have been on the front lines, and uh, my uh, my manager said, you know, we're going to be the COVID ICU here at North Memorial, the first, the first, the first floor to take them, and we still are. And so we we started that last week in, in February. And I remember at the time, this will always stick in my mind, because I, I, I work with a, a, a fair number of younger nurses, and how appalled they were that we had to use our N95. And we were told at that time that we were to wear this N95 until it fell off our faces, because we didn't mm-hmm. have enough supply of them, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of quickly went into, well, we could wear the N95 for 10 shifts. Not oh my 10 gosh. times, but 10 shifts. And these, are all, these N95s are a one-time use piece of equipment that I have just verified that recently with a 3M representative. These are a one-time use type of equipment. So anyway, and I will never forget those younger nurses being so appalled. And I had kind of been used to maybe using an N95, you know, for one patient uh, during the H1N1 and the SARS, et cetera, that was something that we did where we used Mm -hmm. the N95 for just, we put in a little paper bag just for that shift for that patient. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, and, but I just remember how shocked and appalled they were because this was totally going against what they had learned in nursing school as Mm -hmm. far as optimal um, isolation protection. And I'll never forget that. Well, then, you know, what else was going on was that it was very concentrated here in the city. 
and all of like northern Minnesota, southern Minnesota, we had we actually had nurses that were very upset with us because the state remember they closed down, they weren't doing any yeah. elective surgeries. So mm-hmm. we had nurses that were being furloughed and lay and kind of put on, Laid you know, on yeah. we're out of work. We're out of mm-hmm. work and they were very upset uh because it, it didn't affect them. Well, and then I don't. I'm sure people have heard about the whole supply line. Getting back to the PPE, that's been an mm-hmm. absolute disaster. Because, frankly, the Defense Production Act, which is the same act that was enacted during World War II, where the government enacted that, and then everybody dropped everything and made planes and tanks and everything else that was needed for the war effort. Well, we need and needed that same thing to happen as far as PPE is concerned, but it didn't. And so we had state after state vying for supplies. I remember Governor Waltz kind of saying, well, I had a a million masks on their way to Minnesota, and then all of a sudden it got sidetracked or hijacked or however you want to say it by FEMA to go to the Mm. national supply. And this kind of thing was going on all during that first um, wave of the pandemic, which Mm -hmm. was uh, so, and and then on top of it, uh, the whole stress of actually learning about COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, first it it was respiratory. Then all of a sudden, oh my goodness, they're getting pulmonary embolized. So it was affecting, you know, giving people strokes. And then, oh my goodness, now it hit the kidneys. So now they had to be on dialysis. And, And so we had all the stress of, learning about the COVID and how to treat it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say that we have done, at least at my hospital, um, I can only speak for that, we have done in a fantastic job of learning how to manage COVID. And so that isn't the problem anymore. Right now is the amount of people that are coming in with COVID. And more importantly, the fact that thousands of healthcare workers are out with COVID-type issues or, mm-hmm. or related to COVID-type issues. And we cannot afford to have anyone off the front line. We can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so it's just a critical thing. Um, we're just about ready to go to a break, but let's talk just a little bit about uh, the masking. Um, what is it that nurses are asking the public to do that would make a huge difference for the safety of the nurses and and the number of people being admitted to hospitals? Well, right. And, you know, here's the real, here's the real crime of the situation is that this became not just, not like it should have been a public health issue. This became politicized and it never should have been. It should have, shouldn't have been, and it shouldn't be now. The fact that if you don't wear a mask, you are somehow declaring you're a free citizen who can who has the choice to do what they want. That is not that is that attitude is not going to get us through this pandemic. I mean, and I and I, I if I offend anyone listening to this, I'm sorry, but I'm beyond worrying about that. If everyone would just wear a mask, um. That, and that would be a huge step in there and, 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 and just do social distancing. You know, I got in I, just recently after my uh, president-elect Biden um, interview, I got an email from Australia, 
and they had a very condoling kind of tone to it, condolences. And what mm-hmm. they're saying is, you know, we have a new norm here in, in Australia. We just all mm-hmm. wear masks, and we all do what we're supposed to, and we everything is open. Yeah. And I, I remember saying on a newscast that wouldn't that just be wonderful if that's what we could do, too? Mm-hmm. And, and we so could have. I, I encourage. And we yeah. could have. We could have. Yeah, uh, but we, we can't miss, look we backward, miss. which is is a frustration, but we can go from this moment forward. And um, we're going to take a break right here and then come back and talk about where we go from here. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And I am Leanne Meyer. I am talking today. My guest is Mary Turner, president of the Minnesota Nurses Association, ICU nurse for North Memorial Medical Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. And uh, recently, she was interviewed by President Biden or President-elect Biden, and uh, plus many news sources uh, regarding the state of nurses dealing with COVID. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today. Hey nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own, which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store or Google Play now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. Womeninhealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. Womeninhealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.
Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And I am Leanne Meyer. My guest today is Mary Turner. She's the president of the Minnesota Nurses Association and an ICU nurse for North Memorial Medical Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. She recently was asked to uh, interview or, or discuss with the president-elect Biden um, and many other news sources regarding the state of, of nurses dealing with COVID right now. So we were talking previously about the situation, how things have kind of come to into being of being in major, major crisis. Uh, and a lot of that just goes back to everybody masking and everybody distancing, just that simple. So um, I want to bring uh, Mary back in. One of the things that nurses pretty much have in common is we are um, uh, we like to fix things. We're the fixers, and we're very much uh, proactive. So if we know something is happening, we want to plan. We want to know uh, what the plan is, and we want everybody to know it. So I want to bring Mary back in to just talk about what what is that? How does that um, how does that feel for nurses um, right now? Okay, so um, back in uh, the first wave, we had already been giving had been given a model, a mass. It would have been like a mass casualty staffing model mm-hmm. in case we would have needed it. And it, to, basically, it um, as an ICU nurse, that would have meant for me that I would have taken on. Um, uh, with the help of three uh, med surge nurses, we would have taken on together probably six or seven patients. I would have managed all of the intensive care, you know, equipment like the ventilators mm-hmm. and all the uh, the blood pressure drips and things like that. But I mm-hmm. would be working with three other uh, non-ICU nurses. And so that's what it would have looked like for me. We mm-hmm. never had to go into that model, um, but... It is now getting to a point where the nurses are very concerned that we will have to be doing something like that because mm-hmm. um, somewhere they've got to be come up with beds, and if all the beds are taken already in the state, then is one can only wonder, is that going to be, um, you know, creating um, other kind of uh, temporary hospital? type mm-hmm. of structures, et cetera, like other cities had to do. And if we have to do that, we're going to have to go into something called like that mass casualty staffing model. Well, mm-hmm. the problem is, is that, you know, like you have said, Leanne, nurses never can have enough information, right. okay? Because we know that every speck of information we get can be used. And you'll also get a lot better buy-in from nurses if they are educated and they are prepared. Mm-hmm. And this is what's been lacking from our hospital administrations is the is this kind of uh, mass casualty staffing model. And, and for our hospital, that means that, okay, so technically if they have to stop doing surgeries altogether like they did during the first wave, you're going to have a lot of OR nurses, uh, patient care center nurses, PACU nurses that aren't, that aren't going to have anything to that are not going to be used in the capacity that they have. And so um, they're going to have to be retrained and reassigned. And they um, they just kind of need to... Know that ahead of time. Pardon? They, they need to they know, need that, to ahead know that ahead of time. 
so yes, that they, they can do. prepare they themselves for it. Exactly. They need to either have the little learning sessions or iLearns or whatever you want to call it, um, but the little refresher, refresher courses. Now, I mean, we just this past week, because I was very adamant at my hospital that we've got to start to get to know, you know, what's going to go on. And we just this past week, our, our nursing administrators said that we they would first take um, some of these nurses that had recently come from the med surge floors, and, and that makes sense. Start start with them to be able to reassign them, but then in the meantime, give those refresher courses, etc., to those nurses that have maybe done OR for the last thirty years. Mm-hmm. You know, they're of course extremely anxious about having to yeah. be put out on the floors without any Let's- preparation. Yeah, let's say something about that because so many people think a nurse is a nurse is a nurse is a nurse. If you've been trained yeah. to be a nurse, you can go anywhere in any part of the hospital, a clinic, you know, any environment and operate just fine. And that, I mean, talk about that because that is so not true. That is so not true because, I mean, take, okay, OR, OR, they, they help in a surgery environment. They have, and especially a nurse who's been so long-term, um, they, they know nothing about the workings of a med surge floor, the whole meal times and the whole therapy and it just all the workings, all the, all the paperwork is different. Their the whole job is different. Medications are different. And, and, and then take even something as to say that a hospice nurse is the same thing as an ICU nurse mm-hmm. or, or, a, or an intermediate cardiac nurse. No, I mean, I, I've been a nurse who has been, uh, you know, like, I'm not one that, can, that wants to do uh, the same thing for my whole career. My sister-in-law was like that. She was a 40-year orthopedic nurse. Mm-hmm. I started off in neuro, and then I went to ortho, and then I went to cardiac, and then I went to ICU just because I, I kind of get bored. So <laughs> in one sense, I'm a nurse as a nurse as a nurse, but only because I have spent five years in each different modality. You know what I'm saying? And each time I went to something different, I would say to people, all right, I've got the basic nursing. I've got what I know from this point back. But what I need to know from you is what I need to know about cardiac. What I was trying to point out is, no, I can't just walk onto my intermediate cardiac floor and just start and go into town without any kind of intense training about what goes on with a cardiac nurse. And the same thing happened when I went to ICU. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And so what what we need is people who actually know what nurses can do, what they need to learn in order to be able to step into a role that they're not used to. And we need that now before the problem starts. We need those nurses to be trained. Yeah. So um, yeah. as we're getting to the point where uh, nurses, I mean, when New York was having their problem back in April and, and May and June, um, nurses from all over the country were traveling to help them. And kind of with the idea that, you know, if we end up like this, these people will come back and help us. Well, if you look at the map of COVID across the country, it is blazing red all the way mm-hmm. across the country. There are no extra nurses. So address that. Oh. What do we do with that? Well, that, that's where we're going to have to. I mean, we at our hospital, they were told that we were able to get nine uh, agency nurses. And I said, well, 
please give my congratulations to the HR department that was able to pull that off mm-hmm. because um, that, that is very rare because what you say is exactly true because these nurses are, um, each state is, is vying for those same nurses. They're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 don't go anywhere. We need you here. And right. so what, and that's where you're hearing about, and I just read in the paper today, they're reading about uh, potentially um, trying to call back nurses that are retired. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two minds about that. I wouldn't want to throw yeah. a retired nurse into a COVID situation, that's for sure. But mm-hmm. potentially a situation where they are doing the non-COVID so that those non-COVID nurses who are working can come to the COVID. I could right. see potentially that. They talk about um, having, well, you remember in the days when you used to have a graduate nurse because it took yeah. three months for their boards to come back? Right. Kind of that kind of thing. Um, having nurses before they're um, fully licensed. If nothing else, to be working on the floors, um, having like nurses do internships. Mm-hmm. So it'd be kind of like back in the whole, I think it was diploma program, right? That was yeah. a three-year program. Yeah. Right. Where That's the what third I did. year, the nurses actually, yeah, where the nurses, nursing students actually ran the hospital. We did. Or they certainly did at night. As they certainly did at night. Um, so we need to, that would be a way to generate more manpower. That is for sure. Um, is to use that group of nursing students like you would back in a diploma type of setting. I think that'd be a brilliant idea yeah. because well, the challenge with that is that the their... new nursing students have very little clinical experience, so they would That's really true. have to um, be paired with somebody, maybe on, under the line of you know kind of what you were doing with the ICU nurse mm-hmm. uh, pairing with three other nurses, something along that line, or or maybe even but they would be you... on the non-COVID right. units. Right, but how much faster would they learn though? Oh, I mean, gosh, sure, yes. it might be a few rocky few shifts, you know, but yeah. what a what a marvelous way to learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there that you can't compare trying to because now I understand they do most of their clinicals like simulations in a nursing yeah. lab somewhere, and yep. there there is no comparison to actually working with hands on mm-hmm. um, patients. Yeah. So there's, there's that that so- I actually think is pretty. There's so much involved with nursing that isn't just doing a procedure. You know, you're dealing with a patient, a family that is terrified of everything that's happening. You have to be teaching what you're doing while you're doing it. Um, You know, being able to think ahead, okay, I'm seeing this, you know, maybe the patient is turning blue or whatever else. And so even while you're doing one procedure, you're trying to deal with what's the next thing I need to deal with. So it's, it's, uh, like you said, the simulation gives you a, a credible way of knowing how it works, but it doesn't help mm-hmm. you in the situation dealing with um, the environment that's going on at the time. Um, one of the things right. we keep hearing about is how exhausted nurses are and um, that they've been running like crazy to try and keep things stable and keep the hospitals open. So what what does it mean when... Um, the mental health, physical health, um, uh, spiritual health of the nurses is really being stretched to the limit. What what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, first of all, some of that exhaustion is happening because this is one way they're trying to solve the staffing crisis is, at least if a hospital is smart, they institute some kind of a bonus, bonus mm. situation 
to incentivize nurses to pick up beyond what they were hired for. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm uh, say you're you're scheduled to work three days a week, and now you've got a bonus, so now you're going to pick it up an extra couple each week. And so, and um, many nurses do this, especially the younger ones who have to pay off a lot of student debt. I mean, this this kind of appeals, and and so. But the problem is, is this is a very short term solution because we can only humanly do so many hours. You know, right. I always get concerned Physically. when I'm, I mean, I, I mean, I would never want to disparage any nurse, but if I'm, if I'm working next to a nurse that's been working, has already worked 120 hours in a in pay a period or oh, 60, 70 hours a week, that, you know, that's, that's, you start to be concerned for your fellow nurses because that, mm-hmm. that physically is, is very draining. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about, because people are worried about, you know, all of the different nurses are, we have a profession that we're, we're used to dealing with life and death situations, okay? I always tell them, the student nurses, when I talk to them, I always say to them, usually I'll, I'll meet with them on safety week, and I'll say to them, you need to know that every decision that you make, no matter how big or small, has the potential to either harm or help your patient. If mm-hmm. you make the wrong decision, you could harm your patient. You know? And so we're used to being in a field where every decision that we make is life and death. Okay? So that's not the issue. But if we get to a point where we're having to watch doctors decide to give care to one person and not the other, that's right. where you're going to start to see nurses having to experience and to live through some very traumatic experiences. You know what I mean? If they get to a point where you've got two people and right. somebody has to decide who, who deserves the care or not or who gets mm-hmm. the care or not, this is going to be stuff, this is the kind of stuff that I would imagine would, would create kind of a PTSD for exactly. nurses. Yes. Yeah. Also, with and if I wanted you've got... to get that point across. I wanted to get because I hear I have a lot of news people that will ask me, "Oh, how are the nurses doing that?" No, we're 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 made of tough stuff, and we know what our yeah. we know what our profession is all about. But it's when we get to that extreme kind of things, and I think some of that might even be happening now in the country. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It yeah. is. In some of the the hottest places, El Paso is probably the hottest place. And they, from what I talk to nurses there, they are at that point where they're having to make life and death decisions and who gets the ventilator and who doesn't. And, you know, if if that patient dies on the ventilator, you question yourself, maybe I should have had the other patient. And um, some of those can be really, really difficult. We're um, time to take another break. And so let's do it here. And then when we come back, we can maybe um, talk a little bit more about, um, well, some of the situations, because again, I don't think people really understand the dynamic of what happens happens as nurses are trying to do what they already were doing, which was pretty impossible, and then adding more onto that. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, 
And uh, my our uh, episode today is called What Nurses Wish the Public Knew. And then uh, my guest today is Mary Turner, who is the president of the Minnesota Nurses Association. She is also an ICU nurse for the North Memorial Medical Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. And she recently interviewed with the present president-elect Biden to inform him about what it's like on the front lines. We'll be back in just a minute. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. WomenInHealthCare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020 womeninhealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Hey nurses, what would you say is the hardest part about being a nurse? Well, most of you would say it's putting everyone else's needs before our own, which means not enough time for self-care. And this is why Holly Blue has created a peer support and community app just for nurses, so you can take care of you. Holly Blue is the ultimate nurse app to help you connect with local nurses, organize your nurse life in one place, restore your love for nursing, and empower you to thrive in a field that needs you. Want to see how it works? Student nurses, nurses, and retired nurses can download this free app on the App Store Google Play Now. Just type in H-O-L-L-I-B-L-U or go to hollyblue.com to start connecting. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week. We're back again. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I think today is a really important show. The name of our show is What Nurses Wish the Public Knew. And today's guest is Mary Turner, who is the president of the Minnesota Nurses Association. She is also, and probably most important, an ICU nurse for North Memorial Medical Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, um, and recently uh, interviewed with the president-elect Biden uh, to inform him about the frontline situation with nurses. Um, 
so we have been talking about a number of things, but what I want to talk about right now is the bed situation. I know that patients and citizens in general just do not understand how can a hospital not have beds for you to bring in your 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 loved one that's had a heart attack or a stroke. So I want to just read this little excerpt that talks about this. Um, uh, it's kind of a vignette. So the ER charge nurse gets a call from the nursing supervisor, and they say the neighboring level one trauma center is going on divert, meaning that they have decided their emergency department is too busy to manage any more patients. If an ambulance tries to bring a patient to the level one, they will be instructed to take that patient elsewhere. And this is the only other emergency department within 50 miles. Indeed, within minutes of that notice, five ambulances have called in to report that they are rerouting and will be arriving momentarily, except there are no beds to be had. So two of the patients are jammed into hallways in the back of the department. So that just gives you a little bit of an idea of what it's like mm -hmm. when these things happen. So Mary, go from here. What, what is it like for a nurse? Well, first of all, when they when they talk about um, two, uh, when they have to go on divert, that means that every single bed in the in that emergency department is already um, full, and their waiting room is full. And 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 some of the you know even though they try now to um, because they don't want a lot of people hanging out in waiting rooms. Uh, they right. more likely bring people right back to their room. So that means they're full. That also means that every single bed in the hospital is taken. Or, mm -hmm. or even if all the beds aren't filled, they don't have staff to be able to take care of any more patients. So, so that's right. why a hospital goes on divert. And they can only go on divert, I believe, for just a couple hours. And another thing that people should know is if you have more than, what, two or three hospitals that go on divert, then everybody has to open up. So it's mm -hmm. not like you stay divert for the whole night or whatever. Um, but what this means is that, because I'm glad you brought this up, because it, it means that nurses are in a situation where we are being asked to take care of more patients than is safely safe for us to take care of. In the ICU, for example, um, we usually have a two, two, I usually have two patients. I could see a day if stuff gets bad where I'm going to have to take a third patient. And in some states, they already take four patients in the ICU. Now, right. there is multiple, multiple research that shows that for every patient that an ICU nurse goes above two patients, the risk of your other patients having something critically go wrong with them increases. Right. You know what I mean? This, the, it, there's undoubted literature that there is a maximum to how many patients a nurse in any given situation can take care of safely. Okay? And so, but I have, to, I have to go into what's happening like in Minnesota. In Minnesota, we have a great system called critical access hospitals. And this allows us to have in almost every little small town some kind of a, a, a medical facility. The thing is, is these critical access hospitals are 25 beds or less. And mm -hmm. those 25 beds, some of them are your, your emergency beds. So they may only have a med surge floor that maybe has 14 beds on it. And in normal times, this, depending on their population, this is enough for the community. 
You know what I mean? There's times mm-hmm. that, you know, if it's not tourist season up north, that uh, the nurses' hours are kind of being cut because they just don't have the patience. That's fine in normal times, but now we have a pandemic that has stretched from one corner of our state to another, and and it is not enough. It is not enough, and so what you have have happening, I just heard from a nurse in River Falls that said uh, some of the townspeople were so irate because they couldn't get their mother in who needed to be in or their father who needed to be seen, Um, and how outraged that there wasn't a hospital bed. Well, it's because those hospitals were never designed, were never designed to be able to handle something like a pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, and so and and it's not and it's not just COVID that it's filling up with. I mean, there is still the like you said, the heart attacks, the strokes, the uh, the car accidents. athletic accidents, the car accidents, uh, the hunting accidents, the you know, y- you name it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, and the none flu. of that stops. The and flu, the normal none flu. of that stops yeah. just because of COVID. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's so it's created where. And so when people get frustrated about these restrictions, they have to understand, and they and they kind of say, well, why, why is it just the hospitals and the nurses and the doctors and the frontline workers that we're thinking about? It's because it very much is connected to you in the community, people. Right. It's, it's a it's a it's a the matter of life and death for you. And now I'm talking to your listeners. Um, it's a life and death for you. Whether there's going to be a bed for you if you should need it. And not just for COVID, for any other reason. This is right. why it is so important. So going because back to what yeah. the person from Australia told you, they started right off the bat with everybody. It was a public health issue. Everybody was asked to wear mm-hmm. masks. Everybody wore masks. Anybody who could distance did distance. And now here they are nine months later, and they're doing fine. They're, they're able to they're doing have their businesses opened up. They know better how to manage mm-hmm. this. We're in the situation we are in Minnesota and all across our country because we did not listen. We did not listen, and we had people actively discouraging people from doing mm-hmm. the right thing during a public health crisis. Right. And um, that has been – that is where um, – I'm sorry, but most of the blame and the damage occurred from. Yeah. Because, it it's not, like I said at the beginning, it should have stayed only a public health issue. It should have never been politicized. And because of that, we are reaping the, uh, reaping the I don't want to say the reward. It's not a reward, but that's of this. cause and effect. No, we're no, reaping no, we're, the effects of, of that the decision. Of the effects of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, um, and nothing can convince me otherwise. No? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that we've had nine months to prepare, and we could have had nine months of, um, that's the other thing, is even if we could open up everything right now, Leanne, without a Defense Production Act to produce enough personal protective right. equipment for everyone, and I don't just mean the frontline healthcare workers, I mean the bus drivers, I mean yes. all the restaurant and hotel workers, I mean everybody out there, we, there's no way we have enough. There is no way. That we have enough. And the only way that we can have enough for everybody to have what they need is to have something like the Defense Production Act, which should have been going full force these past nine months. Mm-hmm. Can you hear the frustration in my voice? No. Yes, I can. And I, I, it keeps me up at night. I, everything you're saying is what I say. <laughs> 
And you can mm-hmm. only get just so frustrated with it. And then you still have to come back and deal with the issues that are in front of us. I'm wondering um, if we could talk a little bit about, do you see an ongoing impact for nurses in healthcare in the future? Do, do you see um, a change either in how many people go into nursing, um, how many people stay in nursing? Um, do you see anything like that that might impact our healthcare in the future? I could see, and I've seen a little bit of it, I could see nurses who are closer to retirement, especially if they're in departments that um, they're not used to working with the patient population or out on the floors, et cetera. I could see some of them kind of moving up their retirement. That has happened. But it's my understanding that the nursing schools are not having a decrease in um in um, enrollment, at least I hope mm-hmm. they're not. And I would say to any uh, any young people out there who want to be in nursing um, that the one thing is it's never boring, and you always feel you can always feel like you've done something worthy for society when you're a nurse. I mean, you never have to doubt whether you're making a contribution into this world. And no matter you know, we've had other difficult times, and. We just we we just handle it, and it's a proud and honorable profession. Yes, it truly and is. I and encourage anyone. <clears throat> I get emotional. I'm sorry, but I just no. encourage any young young person who wants to go into it. Do not be turned off by what is going on in our world. Please be inspired to to become a nurse, become a doctor, because we so desperately need you. Yeah. Is that like the major message that you want to get out to everybody in the world um, to really have more people look into healthcare and and making it more of a healthy healthcare? Uh, we need nurses that understand what really keeps people healthy. We actually have developed in this country a disease care. We wait for people to get very, very sick, and then we try and fix it. And what nurses are all about is really how do we keep people healthy? And we've been trained how to do that. Yes, we have. Um, You know, people go into hospitals not for medical care. They They go for nursing care. You know what I mean? That's why they have to be in there. They get done with their surgery. It's not like they go from the operating table right to home, mm-hmm. even though they try. But they come <laughs> into a hospital yeah. for nursing care. That's the reason you go into a hospital. And but but wouldn't that be wonderful if we had? And I remember back in the '80s when they were talking about this, having mm-hmm. clinics in right. your neighborhood that were run by nurse practitioners, etc. That we could do wellness care and preventive care. And, and so that I remember in my, when I was on my cardiac unit, how the first time I would see some of these people anywhere from age 47 to 53 was when they were having their first heart attack. And that was their first entry into, into the healthcare world. They had never okay. been to any, oh, I'm healthy. I never had to go to the doctor. Do you know how many times I've heard that? Yes, Versus somebody <laughs> having consistent medical care. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Consistent health care all the way through. You know, Preventative how much, how much care, better yeah. off we would be. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do want to say my last message, if I could, to the nurses sure. out there. Absolutely. Across the country. You know, we deserve, we deserve to be safe on our jobs. 
and the reason we deserve to be safe. And that means, as far as that means, being able to have be able to quarantine without being called back to work early. That means being able to have enough um, personal protective equipment to be able to have it optimal use. Um, we deserve to have all the supplies and resources and education that we need to, to go forth in this pandemic. And the reason that we deserve all of this is because we are the front line and we are, we are the people's only front line. And so it is imperative that we are kept safe so that we can do the job that we're called to do and that we are willing to do. And I want to commend all of the nurses across the nation how proud I am of the work that you've been doing and all of the other healthcare workers, the doctors, respiratory therapists, I can't leave them out either. So proud of yeah. the work that all of us have been doing. Even and just have the space that if we, we stand together, without them. we can't do without them. And, and I just... I'm so proud, and just keep the faith, people, and somehow, if the government would step up, we can get through this. Yes. Thank you, Mary, so, so much for being on and so eloquently putting this message across from the nurse's point of view, what this is like. So I'd like to close <clears throat> the show today with a quote from my favorite poet, Daisaku Ikeda. He's a Japanese Buddhist who at 93 has lived his entire life in efforts for world peace and happiness of all mankind. And he said, if you allow the passing of time to let you forget the lofty vows of your youth, you stand to block the source of your own boundless good fortune and sever the roots of limitless prosperity for your family and loved ones as well. Please never let this happen. Only by remaining steadfast to the vows we have made in our youth can we shine as true victors in life. And this is so true of nurses particularly. And just realize that we are the only group of healthcare workers that are with the patient every moment, 24-7, yep. 365 yep. days a year. Everybody else comes in and goes out and they get a respite from the really intensity of the work that nurses do. We don't leave. And it is a vow. It is a mission. And so um, I just I can't thank you enough for being on, Mary. Well, thank so, you for having me. You're so welcome. If anybody has questions, suggestions, concerns, or knows of any subjects or speakers that would be good to have on the show, please contact me at Leanne, L-E-A-N-N-E, at onceanurse.com, or you can go to my website, which is www.onceanurse.com. So thank you for listening. Make it a great week, and don't let anyone take it away. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.